Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's guest is back for his second time on the show, and he's one of my favorite guests. He's a UCLA professor and one of the smartest and most studied guys I've ever met when it comes to neurodegeneration and Alzheimer's. I'm talking about Dr. Dale Bredesen, who wrote the groundbreaking book called The End of Alzheimer's, where he just straight up told us, here are the different types of Alzheimer's, here's what we know, and it is absolutely 100% reversible and preventable. We've solved this problem, but no one knows. And he says it from a position that it's really hard hard to argue with, because he has all the data, all the science, and he's got decades and decades of practice behind him. So he's very credible on this notion. His new book that just comes out as we're doing this episode is The End of Alzheimer's Program. So the first book said, here's how it works. It is real. You don't have to get Alzheimer's. You can reverse it. You can prevent it. You can be smarter now. And this is the book that goes with it that says, here's the actual things you do. Here's the lab tests you get. So this was the idea of turning it from science and knowledge into action. And this interview is all about that. You were the first very, very well-credentialed physician that I know of uh, who put in a book straight up, toxic metals and toxic mold are contributing factors to Alzheimer's disease. And, And you had the data and you had the studies and you put it all in the end of Alzheimer's, which just floored me when I interviewed you the first time. I'm like, wow. Um, the, the functional medicine side, the things that I know about my own path there, I know that those destroy cognitive function, but you put all the dots together to say, all right, let's look at these as things that are lighting the fire and then how to put them out, which is part of why you just came out with your, your new book that's based on the program you're actually doing for patients. Right. Yes, we had a lot of people ask after the first book, you know, well, hey, we want more details. You've talked about this is feasible. Here are some examples. Here are some anecdotes. But we want more about where do we go? What are the URLs? What are the workarounds? Who are the people that have done it? You know, all these things. What what uh, brand do you want to buy for all these things? You know, uh, so, the, and, you know, obviously you've been through this with Bulletproof. You know, how do you yeah. get optimal? How do you get optimal outcomes? I mean, that's the critical. What are the critical features? And the thing that's been really intriguing to me is that there are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings uh, about this illness that people don't understand what's driving it. So they just, as you said, they just say, yeah, we don't know what causes it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, forget it. And, and beyond that, the funny thing is anybody who says different is, you know, is lying. Well, wait a minute. What about the published data? My argument is once the data are published in peer reviewed journals, which we've now done multiple times, yeah. if you're not, if you don't have something that's that effective, then that's criminal negligence. You're saying, okay, I'm aware there are data, they're published in peer-reviewed journals, but I'm going to choose to let someone die rather than using those data. I mean, there's yeah. a legal term for that, and it is criminal negligence. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a crazy time. But I, I think that you know, the next few years, we're going to see more and more people saying, yes, look, this really did help me. Uh, we're just finishing, by the way, we're finishing the trial. This is the first trial in history. And if you think about it again, it, it makes no sense. The old way that this was done in all trials up till now have been we predetermine what the treatment is, right? We say, okay, we're going to treat you with drug X. 
yeah. or we're going to treat you with, you know, change Y, whatever it is. It's a, it's a univariable and we're going to give you this and we're going to predetermine it. Well, that's not really the way the human body works. So what you need to do is say, we're going to take each person and we're going to evaluate all of the variables that are contributing to their change. Cognitive decline in our case, but you can do the same thing for longevity, for diabetes, cancer, what have you. We're going to look at all the contributors, and then for each person, it's going to be different. We're going to address those variables. And when you do that, you get much, no surprise, you get much better outcomes, and you get sustained outcomes because you are addressing those. So I'm enthusiastic. This thing's finishing in December, should be published next year. I'm sure there's going to be lots of uh, screaming, yelling, and kicking. Uh, but the patients are doing great, and they're, of course, they're very uh, enthusiastic about it. it. It actually makes me a little bit relaxed to hear you talk about it that way uh, from something that I didn't realize was much of a stressor just in the back of my mind in some small corner. And it's that when I started out, when I'm 300 pounds, no one can tell me why exercising a lot, eating nothing, why I'm still fat, and why I feel like crap all the time. No one believes me medically. You know, oh yeah, you're eating Snickers bars when we're not, we're not looking. Clearly, you have ten symptoms. You have hypochondria. Hypochondria. Take some Wellbutrin. You know that that kind of a you know yeah. go away perspective. And I felt really exposed because I'm I'm a science engineering guy. I said, okay, I'm going to try vitamin C. And and I, I looked at my list of things that might work. I'm like, wait, if I trial each of these for three months, I'm going to be a hundred by the time I've trialed each of them once. And finally, I just got frustrated. And unfortunately for me. At the time, this is right when I made a ton of money that I lost two years later. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm in my my mid twenties, and I said, "Okay, I'm just going to do everything that might work all at once. And if I get the result and I have expensive pee, I'm okay with it because the result is so precious. I wasn't even at end of life. I felt, I mean, I did have cognitive dysfunction that's probably related to what someone feel later in life, but." It's that idea. How do we get results? So how do we test five variables at once to see if it works and then face criticism? Well, how do you know which of the five? Well, where was the assumption that it was only one? Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense. But you actually you're going out and you're doing this in studies. And yeah, you're going to piss people off. But you're, you're right is, is the end yeah. of the day. Well, you know, one of the most common misperceptions in the entire field is that this system works as a linear system, which is absurd and, and and just these so silly that these people think okay so they say if you want to try 10 15 20 things you have to take each one by itself yeah and then you have to add and if you see no effects from 10 things then if you put those 10 together you're going to get no effect this is not a linear system duh <laughs> wake up so my argument is okay get find a find a system that works for you it might take 20 it might take 10 then you can take one away at a time. You really want to be scientific? Fine. Take that's, one away and look and see. That's you know, this it. is where exactly. And, and you know, you can you you can do it more fancy if you want. You can do AI. Do thousands and thousands of people with thousands and thousands of approaches, and then look for patterns. I have no problem with that. But let's start with something that works instead of living and dying with floor effects and with assumptions. I really believe that this field has more misunderstandings, misconceptions, and misperceptions, and myths than just about any other field. And people are dying, and these are not just white lies. These are things that people are dying for. And so let's quit thinking that the brain is, is functioning as a linear system here, and let's look at what actually makes a difference for people's cognition. 
Now, outside of your new book about the program that here's the steps you take uh, book, you are interested in a bunch of technologies, some of which I've talked about on the show, but other restorative, rejuvenative technologies. What are some of the things that you're looking at that might be effective in just making people more resilient? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. So uh, you and I talked about EWAT before, which I think has been very interesting. And, you know, if you look at what Alzheimer's and, you know, I didn't start in functional medicine. I started in the lab. And so I really believe in functional medicine because that's where the lab led us. If there hadn't yeah. been a functional medicine, we would have had to say, well, what the heck is this stuff? So the, the fact of the matter is that if you look at the molecular pathways that drive the degenerative process, the most fundamental nature of what's happening to our brains is that this is an insufficiency. And again, when you step back and say, wait a minute, Alzheimer's is an insufficiency? Well, duh. You know, it makes sense. Your brain is involuting because the entire, uh, the entire balance sheet is on the wrong side. You've got a demand for these 500 trillion synapses that you have, and you have a supply. And as we get a little older, and of course it can happen younger if you've got certain exposures, it can happen older if you're doing well, but at some point, if you are on the wrong side of that ledger chronically, then your brain says, I cannot afford 500 trillion synapses. How about 400 trillion synapses? You know, and you start, you know, you're starting to lose these things, no surprise, and you feel it. And if you don't discover why you are on the wrong side of that ledger and, you know, and reconcile that, if you don't discover that and rectify it, then it will continuing, be continuing to dazzle us, as we see. And ultimately, you, learn, you lose your speech and you lose your ability to care for yourself and on and on, and you die of Alzheimer's. And in fact, 45 million of the currently living Americans will die of Alzheimer's. That's 100 times as many as will die of COVID-19 in, uh, in the worst projections. So this is 100 times the pandemic. It's not as quick of a pandemic, of course, but over the long haul, it is a huge, huge problem. And therefore, it behooves all of us to find out where we stand, which side of the ledger we're on. And the great news is you have years and years before you have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So you have a long time, and we recommend anyone 45 years of age or older, get a cognoscopy, find out where you stand, Fine. Just like you want to know your blood pressure and your cholesterol, you want to know where you stand with respect to your synaptoblastic versus synaptoclastic signaling. And you want to get yourself on the synaptoblastic side, making synapses so that you can learn new things. You can do your everyday activities instead of being on the synaptoclastic side, which so many of us are. So over the years, we are losing synapses because of you know, dozens and dozens of different things that we can identify. Everything from your immune system status to your hormonal levels, to your BDNF levels, to your plasmalogens, you know, all these sorts of things are critical. Uh, so that is key. And you mentioned, you know, what, what can you do things? Um, I don't know if you've talked about katsu yet. Um, katsu is very interesting. Have you tried this? We had the guys from Be Strong. Uh, on and and be strong is is related. It's it's um, temporary hypoxia, but it's a little bit less yeah. painful than katsu. But it's very similar methodologies. Interesting, yeah. So the bottom line is this is an interesting period where we can do so much. And obviously, as a 
as a world expert biohacker, you know this better than anyone, we can do so much that is not by being done by standard of care medicine. And now, of course, everyone can look at their heart rate variability and their microbiomes and their 23andMe and their ketone status and their continuous glucose monitoring and, you know, and, their, and their SpO2 at night, everything, all these critical things. And of course, we can now pick them up. We have a new app that does this so that you can pick up all these things and see what, what's your new app modified self it's called it's called the recode app this is the recode app okay recode, cool yeah so it just looks at these various pieces and it can you know follow your uh, nocturnal oxygenation and follow your you know ketone levels and all these critical things and again we're dealing with a scenario in which you have a chronic insufficiency. And yes, your brain needs oxygen, it needs blood flow, it needs ketones, it needs other combustible substrates like glucose and things like that in the correct amounts. It needs the lipids, and you, know, you just go right down the list. There are dozens and dozens of things. And unfortunately, when you go to an expert center for Alzheimer's, they do not measure these things. And then they tell you because they're not looking beneath the surface. You remember that, uh, that book, Flatland, where, you know, there's crazy things happen because you can't see the third dimension. And so, you know, people can appear and disappear and, you know, get bigger, get smaller. It's amazing. We're in Flatland in Alzheimer's disease. People aren't looking. They're not looking beneath the surface. And so they tell you, oh, yeah, we, we don't know what this disease is. Well, if you bother to look in that third dimension, you can see what it is. It is an insufficiency. You, if, you're, if you know your plasmalogen status and you know your mitochondrial status and your peroxisomal status, and the great news is, just in time, we're all now getting the tools to measure these things. And of course, the doctors who are ahead of the curve are also looking at these things. So you, know, you can go today and find out your you know, mitochondrial status, you can go and find out your plasmalogen status. Um, you know, that's now available uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Dayan Goodnow, an excellent biochemist who's done a lot of interesting work on plasmalogens and Alzheimer's disease. He's going to be on the show soon. Ah, fantastic. Awesome. Great. I think it's a great idea. and he, He's a great guy. So, there, you know, there is so much quantified self that we did not have before that I think we're, we are going to see dementia become a relatively rare condition uh, if it, wow. it, we're getting to the point where it's basically a choice you know if, if you yeah if you, if you don't want to do anything then yeah you might get it but if you want to make sure that you don't get this you now have the ability to do that the vast majority of the time and that's to how me long? really exciting how, when is that going to happen how, how much time is it going to take well what i can say is today if someone is asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, come to, come to us. We can make sure that you don't get it. And that's the vast majority. Now, we'll see. We're, yeah. we just, uh, so we just released a new program called Precode, which is prevention of cognitive decline. And so we won't know for sure for the next few years how many of these people will, in fact, be successful with prevention. But here's what I can tell you. We've been doing this for a number of years uh, anecdotally, and I've asked all the doctors I talked to who are doing this, have you ever seen anyone who went from asymptomatic to dementia while on the prevention program? The answer is no. So we haven't seen it yet. Um, you know, there may be some people that it happens to. Yeah, but you'll see it, but it's it because of a traumatic brain injury. They'll hit their head and they'll get... <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're right. And there are other things. Again, this is... This is not a unidimensional problem. Right. This is you know, multiple things, and so you are you're protecting that huge uh, the, that huge cache of 
500 trillion synapses. And yes, you smash your head enough, uh, that's a problem. You're right. It's one of those things, though, if you only get 99% coverage, I think you can consider it uh, just one of the, the great achievements uh, of, of really the century because dementia has been an issue for a very long time, and it's just become a much bigger issue in the second half of the last century, and it's getting worse and worse now. And so the demand for what do I do to prevent it is, is actually big enough that we all know someone who doesn't recognize you anymore. Yeah. Uh, so here, no so one here, wants to go there. Great point. And so here's my prediction, Dave. Last century, we conquered acute illness, TB. Yeah. And even toward the end of the century, even HIV is much better, less, much less of a problem than it was, yeah. of course. TB, diphtheria, pneumococcal pneumonia, we conquered those. The 21st century will see, I believe, the end, essentially making very rare all of these complex chronic illnesses, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, PSP, just go right down the list, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, all of these things, because they are fundamentally different than 20th century diseases, and people kept trying to do the same thing. We're just going to throw another medicine at them. But now things are changing, and we're able to see what these things actually represent. We're able to look outside flatland and see what's actually going on. And so we will be able, I think, to make all of these rare diseases. Now, yeah, you'll occasionally, as you said, you're there are going to be people who hit their head enough. You may see some of these, although even there, there, there will be options like stem yeah. cells and things. You can grow uh, it these, back. I, I hit my head yeah. hard. I had um, documented toxin-induced brain damage from toxin mold that Daniel Amen found. It's not there anymore. It does grow back. You there can you grow it back. I just didn't have a program like yours to do it. I had spent a huge amount of money and tried everything on the planet uh, because I was desperate. Um, so the fact that you've systematized it and legitimized it so people don't don't say that someone on, on the Recode program is crazy, whereas most people say, Dave, what you did was crazy. I'm like, yeah, but 20 years later, look at me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Crazy okay. like a fox. Yeah, it, it, when it works. So the bottom line is we're seeing improvements in electrophysiological parameters. You can yeah. look at things like P300. You can look at things like dominant alpha rhythm theta-beta ratio, improvement in PET scans. You can look at changes there, improvements in MRI volumetrics, improvements in MOCA scores, MMSE, CNS vital signs, brain oh, HQ. Yeah. I mean, just right down the list. So this is oh. not, you know, someone seems like they're better. They are showing quantifiable objective improvements. As, as an example, out of that list of metrics, uh, my hippocampal volume is 87th percentile for my age seems like a pretty good thing. And it probably wasn't when I was younger, but I don't have good data on that, just given the history. Yeah. And my P300D is average for a 20-year-old. Wow. Okay. So something I'm doing is working, right? In fact, lots of things I'm doing are working, and that's the, the, the rub there. And some of those metrics I use at 40 years of Zen when you know, we're, we're saying, how do we increase voltage in the brain? And funny enough, when you feed someone fried stuff and sugar, you can't increase voltage in the brain. It, it, it's not trainable. But when you feed them the right way and the ketones are present and the mitochondria are functioning, suddenly you can change neuron firing speed and you can measure it just like you're talking about. And uh, I look at this as it's just an amazing gift to be able to do it uh, to myself and to be able to take what are the lowest hanging fruit, like putting some MCT oil in your coffee because coffee's a low hanging fruit, MCT oils are low hanging fruit, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I want to know from you, though, because you've got a program now that did not exist 10 or 20 years ago. 
what are the lowest hanging fruit? Are people listening to the show right now? So, so you're you're going to stop doing three things right now, and you're going to start doing three things right now. Yeah. You only have three of each. Tell me what those yeah. would be. You know, this is a great point. This always comes up. And so I always say the same thing. The number one thing is to find out where you stand. Because, and I know that's oh, a cop-out in a way. No, not at all. Measure. You got to measure these things. You got to see because here's the thing, Dave. Some people are having this involution, are having this insufficiency because of ongoing inflammation, which is what we call type one Alzheimer's disease, inflammatory, hot Alzheimer's. That's so what I would be. Problem, there you yeah. go. And if that's your problem, you're completely different than the person next to you who has atrophic Alzheimer's. So that's type two. And so you need to look at it. And then of course, the two of you are completely different from the third person who has glycotoxic Alzheimer's. From the fourth person who now has organotoxic or biotoxic Alzheimer's or metallic. There you go, <laughs> chemotoxic. So yeah, you had multiple subtypes heading in that direction. Yep. And then of course, vascular is the other one. So to say, you know, three things you're gonna stop doing and three things you're gonna do, I, step one is get things checked out. And I would include in there to make sure, look at your SpO2. Now you can do that with the thing called Better. You can do it now with the new Apple Watch. Uh, you can, there are lots of ways now. You can do it with an oximeter that your doctor can lend to you, any of those things. And also check out your oral DNA. Make sure that you don't have a lot of P. gingivalis or T. denticola, because again, another way to give yourself cognitive decline. Second thing uh, I would say is to Get, in, get onto a, a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic, low-carbohydrate, uh, gut-supporting diet. Um, and you know, high fiber, it's all the things that we all, you know, we call it KetoFlex 12-3, but you can do it however you want. But those are the components, just looking at the biochemistry. And people argue, oh, it should be this or should be that. Yeah, it's getting your biochemistry to be on the synaptic supporting and synaptic productive sides rather than the downsizing. You know, you were just mentioning the whole, you know, the whole system. Okay, imagine you had an orchestra, but the, you know, the person who played the clarinet could only play one note. You know, you're not going to get that orchestra to play really well as long as you've got that one guy who can only play one note. And as long as you're eating the fried foods and you're doing all the things wrong, you're making your gut leaky. You're making the inflammation happen. You're doing all the wrong things. And of course, you're also killing yourself because you don't have the right nutrients. You don't have the right phytonutrients, support, et cetera. So I'd say that's the second thing. Um, is to get on an optimal diet, which is absolutely crucial. By the way, you said mildly ketogenic, not crazy ketogenic. What about all the carnivore people out there saying that plant fiber is all toxic? Yeah, you know, it's a really good point. And I think, again, that we're coming to a point where people are beginning to realize it's not black and white. These things yeah. are not that. The, the human brain is complicated. And so it's not that every single person will be better with this diet or that diet. So he, so uh, take so far. And first, I always say, and I've talked to the groups before, and I, and I think what they're doing is fine. But here's what I say. Yeah, me too. Publish. Publish the data showing that that made someone's Alzheimer's better. Then that I'll, you know, I'll believe it. That'll be fantastic. So far, there are no publications like that. Theoretically, though, where that makes a lot of sense is in people who have inflammatory problems. 
where you've got inflammatory autoimmune problems, especially those who do have this in part because of plant lectins. And of course, Stephen yeah. Gundry has done a beautiful job about showing mm -hmm. this and about showing how he could make his patients better by dealing with those. It's so chapter one of the Bulletproof Diet is, is lectins and oxalates and all those plants. I, I think a lot of people are messed up by plants, but that doesn't mean all plants are bad for you. <laughs> exactly, well, the, but that's the thing. So, you know, everybody wants it to be incredibly simple. Oh yeah, you know, your brain's simple. Well, you know, it's not simple. No. So try, and, and the people who do the best, as you know, are the people who keep tweaking. They're the ones that come back and say, okay, this thing made me a little worse, but hey, this thing made me a little better. So I'm gonna go this direction, which is obviously what you went through. That is the way things work the best. So for most people who have cognitive decline, they will do best when we get them into a, when I say mildly ketogenic, 1.0 to 4.0 millimolar beta-hydroxybutyrate. If you like to use a breathalyzer, and you know, Biosense is a good example, above seven on the ACEs score, uh, preferably even above 10 at times during the day, that is providing the energy that there is a tremendous energy gap that you've got to deal with when you have the beginning of cognitive decline. And it starts about 10 years before a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So you need those ketones. You need that metabolic flexibility. That's absolutely critical. Now, if your big problem is not cognitive decline and your big problem is rheumatoid arthritis and you're 25 years old, absolutely try all meat for a while and see if that yeah. helps because then you're talking about your antibodies. And by the way, along those lines, you probably saw incredibly interesting recently showing autoimmunity to type one interferons is a major consideration in severe COVID with poor outcomes. And it's, it's about 14%, so one out of seven, but it's the first big new one where people said, aha, here is a molecular determinant of why this guy died of COVID and that guy did just fine. And once we know that, there's things you can do to calm that down, right? Although I feel like right now, even with post-COVID syndrome, we have so many limitations where it looks an awful lot like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or like mitochondrial damage and many viruses and even bacterial infections, a certain percentage of people don't feel good afterwards and they have to recover. And a lot of functional medicine deals with those people. It, it feels to me like we have this rich tool set uh, but in the media, I hear people say um, irreversible Yeah. Uh, in front of that. And, and I just kind of roll my eyes at that. Say, it says who is irreversible. We have no data that says it's irreversible. Yeah, these are the same people who say that if you said, you know, 100 years ago, if man were meant to fly, he'd have had wings. I mean, yeah, okay. That's, that's not the history of our country or our world, right? You know, we're taking on problems and saying, okay, how could we, if we were to do this, how could we do it? And I think what's going to happen is just what, you know, just the scenario you described. So someone had a virus or they had a bacterium. Now they're not recovering. They've got this long-term problem, which as you mentioned, we're seeing it a lot in COVID-19. Okay. So as a scientist, we can break that down and say, okay, that really has three major components. It has probably an autoimmune component. You've reacted against this thing. Now you're picking up and reacting against yourself. It's got a probably a microbiological component. You, you've changed your microbiomes. Yeah, you had, this, you had this tremendous insult and now you're starting to come back. And then number three, it has an energetic component and that's why you feel horrible. You got chronic fatigue. Okay, 
we can address all of those things, just as you just said. We can go in there, we can improve the microbiome, we can get people back to where they should be. We can measure it along the way. We can now find what pathogens are chronic. So many of these things, as you know, things like Borrelia, Lyme disease, they're so good at hanging out for years. Well, okay, that's what syphilis used to do. We did a great job getting rid of that. Okay, we can get rid of these if you've still got infections. And then thirdly, we can improve your energetics. And so these things are all assailable. And I think so many, unfortunately, so many times when the doctor says to you, it's all in your mind, what he really means is it's not in my mind because I can't figure it out. <laughs> I always hear that, that, you know, it's all in your mind. It, it, what it means is don't pay me, find another doctor. That, that's how it, it lands through my, right. my filter. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to doctors because sometimes it is all in someone's mind, yeah. but it, that means it's not actually in their mind. That means that there's hidden trauma and you should refer them to someone to deal with that with EMDR or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who's actually sick and is doing what, what you say and they don't get better and then you blame the patient and that kind of stuff is just not gonna work anymore. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, so I'm, I feel like this idea of putting the patient outcome first yeah. is relatively new. It's spreading around. We're saying that matters more than sticking to a protocol or testing just one thing. Um, some kind of a shift happened, maybe just in the last five, 10 years amongst a, a meaningful enough percentage of, of care providers that all of a sudden patients are now saying, you know what, if I'm not getting the results I want, it's okay to either try something different or go to a different specialist or ask for a different treatment plan. Whereas before there was the white lab coat syndrome. Why do you think that shift has happened? Or do you even think it happened? Yeah, and I think it is happening, and I think it it needs to continue until the standard of care is helping these various people. And as as we all know, the standard of care is is helping very few people who have complex chronic conditions. It is fantastic for a broken leg. It is fantastic for pneumococcal pneumonia. That is what our medical system does very well with. You know, there's this old joke about the guy who goes into the doctor and the doctor says, you know, you're a jerk. And he says, well, I'd like a second opinion. And he says, you're an idiot. And so, you know, this is the problem that people go get these second opinions because they are needed. I think that's where they are valuable. The sad thing to me is that the doctor who is the standard of care doctor will criticize the doctor who's getting much better results and saying, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, then how come the patient got better when they didn't get better seeing you? And I think that this is where the, 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 it's the outcome that determines how good of a doctor you are, not where you train. It's whether you're making people better. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. 
The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Are you going to do stem cells? Have you done them? I have not done them. Um, of course, I've looked in as many uh, have, and especially because of our interest in cognitive decline. Right. But of course, as you know, impacts on immunosenescence and immune support, uh, impacts on uh, you know on all sorts of inflammatory things, imp- imp- uh, effects on you know senescence in general, um, on vascular status, on tumor formation, you know, just on and on and on, and of course on youth. And so, uh, absolutely, it's something in my future, uh, probably uh, next, probably next year. When if things are looking better from COVID nineteen, uh, probably next year. And, and re- one of the reasons I was interested in, in in your history of these was just because, you know, are you more interested in autologous, heterologous? Um, you know, in general, I like the idea of starting with the autologous uh, yeah. because they tend to do. They have fewer risks, obviously. You're not bringing something from outside. On the other hand, they tend to be things that you can't do as repeatedly, as much as as often as you can, obviously, with heterologous. So, you know, my, my general approach would be start with autologous and move to heterologous. There's sort of three camps uh, that I've run into uh, around stem cells. And one of them says, take your own stem cells and and use them when they're fresh and you might get 25 million or something uh, stem cells out of the normal fat aspiration, but it kind of hurts to get that fat taken out. Yeah. Um, it's not, in fact, it hurts a lot more than, than, uh, than getting the stem cells themselves. And then if you're going to do that more than once, like how, like how many invasive procedures with liposuction do I want? So then you would want to culture your cells, let the weak ones die and grow the rich, uh, the rich, the stronger ones and then put a couple hundred million of your own cells back in. But that's not allowed in the U.S. right now. And also the question is, what are you losing over time, you know, as you're yeah. passaging these things? So, yeah, there, I think there are, there are you know, we're, we're still in the early days of optimizing this, as we are in so many of these things, as we are with neurodegenerative diseases, as we are with longevity, all these sorts of things. And I think this is why this is such an exciting time. These things are all being discovered in real time. One of the things that, that I'm concerned about, and I want to check and see if you are, are seeing the same thing I am, it used to be that I could go and I could Google for Alzheimer's disease uh, and maybe alternatives or Alzheimer's diet or anything like that, and I would get a, a set of what people are searching for, what's written about, and all of that, and I feel like over the last year or two, I do that, and I get straight up you know, very traditional, very limited information. And the things that I have relied on to write my books, to to save my own brain, they're invisible on Google. But I go to a different search engine that actually shows the same thing to everyone and all the good stuff is still there. I, I feel like even a work as big as your book, it's getting pushed down by the standard of care by algorithms that I don't want. In fact, I stopped using Google as my search engine because of this. Interesting. But are you seeing that it's harder for people to find or even hope that that Alzheimer's can be fixed? 
You know, that is so interesting. Um, you know, sorry, as you indicated, SEO is such a big issue now. And the problem is that people manipulate the system. I'm sure you saw The Social Dilemma, a uh, fantastic documentary about, you know, as they say, uh, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. And so, you know, so many of these issues are about, can we now take, now, now that we've kind of gotten past the first wave here. It's all about now manipulating that system. And that, which is really sad because the system was working better without manipulation. So much but better. It, oh yeah. But it wasn't inuring to the benefit of people who were paying money. So they, I mean, it's crazy. So I do think, you know, we're due for a new time when, when these things start to come out more. And I think what's going to happen is over time, these will become because of their better outcomes, they will become the new standard of care. But who knows how long that's going to be? There was just a grant announced in the last couple of days uh, to look at uh, AI in various things related to cognitive decline. And so what they're saying is um, there was like $17.8 million from the NIH. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to look at uh, the MRIs, the imaging. We're going to look at the biochemistry. And we're going to look at the cognitive scores. Well, okay, there's nothing about treatment. We're just going to do the next correlation. And of course, you know about ADNI, uh, the neuroimaging initiative, which has been going on for you know many, many years. Dr. Weiner did a fabulous job with that, and it was data shared, which was fantastic. Well, this is just the next version of that. We're going to correlate some more stuff, and we're going to hope that you know that the AI will will then give us an answer. So we're kind of going to the oracle and hoping because that's today's flavor. Well, okay. 15 years and 100 million from now, they'll have what we've been doing for the last few years. We can see the correlations. We can see mm -hmm. the improvements. So I think, you know, more and more correlation and this push, this exclusion of anything other than, uh, you know, what we got the grant for has really harmed a lot of people. And again, I go back to criminal negligence. When you've got something wow. that is actually helping people and you refuse to use it, is that not the definition? Isn't that negligent? I think it is, uh, and I I know how lucky I am that I was successful uh, as yeah. a young person, and I could dig myself out because I used to hang out in rooms full of people who were completely broke because they spent yeah. everything they had trying to get well because they knew that something was wrong and they could barely get up and people didn't believe them. Yeah, and you know you start following the threads and unraveling what's going on. You realize every one of those people can be helped, but they can only be helped if people believe that it's possible. Yeah. And what, what you've done, Dale, that, that really I appreciate is your first book, The End of Alzheimer's, you just laid it out. And, and to, for I think a lot of listeners did read that book. And guys, if you haven't read uh, Dale's first book, this tells you in no uncertain terms, we know what's happening and we know what to do about it. And so you can go from, Oh, I don't know. Maybe it seems all complex to, oh my God, like, like we've cracked the code. But then the next step, which is the new book that you just came out with the end of Alzheimer's program, which is okay. Now you believe from the first book, which is a seminal work for Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. And now you're saying, okay, here's what to do. And, right. and if you don't do both, it actually is a little bit tough because now everyone believes they're excited and they're seeking, but they don't right. exactly know where to go. So Doing the work of creating a program, I think, is harder, at least for me as a as an author, it's harder to put that together um, than it is because it's an act of teaching versus sharing knowledge uh, than it is to do the first book. 
can I run a, a hypothesis back you or past you? Something that I've I've noticed over and over, and just get your your clinical and and research take on it. Absolutely. Um, it feels like for everything in biology, that the slope of the curve of stimulus is is the key, and and it's why high intensity interval training it works better than constant. Uh, uh, things, the flashing lights, on, off, on, off. So it's a very steep curve. Right. Katsu, intermittent hypoxic training, brief periods of time, no oxygen, deep breathing exercise, cold therapy, heat therapy. It seems like how fast can you heat up the body or cool the body? Right. Um, and even how quickly can you go from a, a stress state back to a rest state? So it, it's can I have a very short spike and come down? It feels like that's the key to almost everything here, even with blood sugar. Can you have some go up, go back down? Right. How how important is that that the the slope of the curve for all, anything in the brain, or is that too vague of a question to even make sense? No, it's actually a really good point. So some of this is hormetic, as you mentioned. You know, you're yeah. suddenly cold, sudden hot, things like that. But here's the trick. Yes, it's helpful to have this sudden change because your body responds to that. Just right. like with with hit, as you mentioned, you know, it's responding to that in a regenerative way. However, here's the here's the key: you have to be careful not to exceed the threshold. Mm -hmm. you, when you go from hormetic stress to destructive stress, you've really hurt yourself. So here's an example: you know, go on hit, you keep doing it till till you die of an MI. You know, that yeah. you don't want to do that. Obviously, you know, you or, want to be careful. So the whole idea is work up to it. You know, that's the key. Now, with the 40 hertz, you know, that's because of specific brainwave uh, frequencies that seem to be, that 40 hertz seem to be an important frequency for so, supporting. Because it's turning on beta or beta exactly. almost. almost exactly. Down. Okay. You're driving, yeah, as opposed to driving a different frequency like a, like a delta, that sort of thing. So, okay. so each one has something different. But as you mentioned, uh, and by the way, you know, as you probably know they, they've looked at sound and guess what? It turned out around 40 hertz turns out yeah. to be helpful again. So there does seem to be something very critical about that particular frequency. So each of these things for a different reason does seem to be helpful. But whatever you do, make sure that you don't do it to the point that you're actually damaging yourself. Again, it's just like people who run marathons. Yeah get in good shape, but destroy their knees. So be careful. Right. Um, one of the guys who's been uh, copying my stuff for years uh, got into the the cold therapy. And it was like, well, I have the air conditioning on all the time and I, I'm always cold. And, and I'm thinking that's the very definition of not getting it. The, yeah. <laughs> the brief exposure and right. it's, it's overtraining is right. basically what it is, whether you're talking about any of these things. Uh, so I, I have learned that recovery uh, after the stress is the most important thing. How do people recover best if they don't want to get Alzheimer's? That's a great point. Uh, so the first thing is to minimize stress during recovery. So don't drive it so hard that you're that you're not going to recover. Um, they are going to have, depending on what they're recovering from, stem cells may be part of what's needed. And then there we go right back to where that may be something helpful. Um, and then uh, making sure that you're recovering to the, the what you want to do is you want to recover to the point that over time you're able to do more the next time. If yeah. you're able to do less and less each time, that tells you you're damaging something. If you're not making any improvement, something's wrong. But if you're finding that you allow enough recovery so that the next time you're actually able to do a little more, 
then you are building. You are developing more resilience, more support, and therefore you're going in the right direction. So again, with cognition, you can test yourself. You can do things like CNS vital signs or cog state, or you know there are all sorts of things you can do. And, and Brain HQ is a good one to look at Am I doing better? And we looked at this, uh, you know, in the current ongoing trial. You can see the people who are, you know, doing this more and who are training themselves more, doing overall better over time. So, on the other hand, if you are in a degenerative state, then you're actually going to be going downhill as opposed to going. So, simply applying that criterion can help to tell you: Am I allowing the appropriate time for recovery? I use heart rate variability from my aura ring as yeah. my my highest and best measure of that. Is that the best one for the average listener to know if they're overtrained or are there other metrics that you like better? I think that's an excellent one. Again, I think nothing beats ultimately your scores, you know, function itself. Um, the other thing you know, would be um, elasticity, vascular elasticity. Um, and again, this is something that things like Katsu uh, address and will improve. So, pulse wave analysis, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. my algorithms show I have 24-year-old blood vessels when I look at my elasticity. Wow. So wow. something in here is working because I, yeah. I do track that amongst others. Yeah. Um, and that's a, a clinical thing you do in the doctor's office, but they put you on a curve according to age and all. And for me, that matters a lot because my work with the DNA company, Mansur Mohammed, came on. He's like, uh, Dave, you're in the top 7% of risk for cardiovascular disease based on a bunch of genetic stuff. So for me, if I look at the big four killers from my anti-aging book, you know, the first step to living a long time is not dying. So yep. the big four were cancer, cardiovascular, diabetes, which is a precursor to everything else, and Alzheimer's. Like th yeah. Those are what's going to get most of us. Yep. And it's funny to me when I look at your end of Alzheimer's program, the side effect of that, Dale, is that your risk of all the other things goes down dramatically too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, because you're addressing physiology and you're optimizing yeah. physiology. And again, it comes back to the fact that so many of us are living a very suboptimal physiological life. And that's the issue. What if uh, clinicians uh, want to incorporate your work uh, into their functional medicine practice? Is there a separate set of training? Is there a certification? Uh, how does that work? Because it, to get this this knowledge out there, you need coach type people who can help people be compliant. And you need doctors who can get people on the program. How far are you on creating that kind of change? Yeah, great point. So we are, and we have created a community. We've trained 1,500 physicians in 10 different countries and all over the U.S. And we've just come out with the new training. So this is Recode 2.0. Uh, that's uh, just come out in the last week, actually. Uh, and that we've got some fantastic people, uh, people I know that you, you've interviewed before. So Neil Nathan is on there oh, beautiful. Uh, talking. He's you know, really, the, as you know, the world's expert on biotoxins. Uh, yeah. He and, 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 and Dr. Shoemaker. Uh, and uh, then we've got Chris Shade, who's fantastic with chemotoxins. Oh, and so, yeah, great stuff that these guys are doing. Um, Cyrus Raji, who's a, a world-class uh, neuroimaging person for cognitive decline. Uh, Anne Hathaway, who's a BHRT expert for hormone replacement, uh, and then just on and on. So we've really got an all-star cast who's doing the the teaching for this new recode. So you can, you know, go on um, drbredison.com or any of those sorts of things and just look up or my cognoscopy, any of those, and look up uh, the new training. All right. There are many, many leaders in functional medicine and practitioners who listen to the show, uh, in addition to hundreds of thousands of people who aren't practitioners. 
Um, so for for you, if you're listening and you run a practice, this is the future. <laughs> so you might want to look at that training. And uh, I don't have a deal with Dale to say that. I'm just pretty good at, uh, at reading the tea leaves here. And you, you've done a, a very great uh, act of service in putting the stuff together in a useful, usable format. Uh, because it's frustrating. So many clinicians that I've known, even going back to when I first started getting well, Everyone had pieces, everyone had a program, but you've done enough of the of the quantification of it and making the the measurement stuff that you do in your cognoscopy. But for people who didn't hear the last episode with you, can you talk about what a cognoscopy actually is and what it looks like and why it probably isn't as painful as people imagine? Yeah, that's a good point. Cognoscopy is a lot easier than a colonoscopy, actually, <laughs> um, despite its sound. Um, and, and you know, this comes back to the theory. Once you have an accurate theory, as you know, you can make all sorts of predictions. And that's really what the contribution from the lab was to say, okay, this is the theory that tells you why these things have failed, why you have to do this to make it work. And guess what? It predicts accurately who's going to get better and who's not going to get better. That's the whole thing that the lab taught us. So what you want to start with, as you said, is to get a cognoscopy. You want to know where you stand. And we recommend anybody 45 or older, and you can certainly do it younger, but for sure, if you're 45 or older, please get a, a cognoscopy. You can do this at mycognoscopy.com or any of the, the trained physicians. So this is a, a key thing to do. And you simply want to know three things. Basically, you want to have a series of blood tests. So you want to know what your inflammatory status is. What are the critical features going forward with that it could increase your risk for atrophic status? You know, you want to know what your omega-3 ratio is. You want to know all these very, you know, vitamin D status and your various hormonal status and your, your, and your uh, trophic factors, all those sorts of things. That's all part of this. You want to know your HOMA IR, critical thing to know, very important. As you what know, was that one? HOMA IR. So this is your insulin, this is insulin resistance. It's probably the best measure of insulin resistance. And it's simply your fasting glucose uh, times your fasting insulin divided by 405.45. So you do that and you'll get yourself a HOMA IR. You wanna be 1.0. Once you start hitting 1.3 and above, you have insulin resistance and you get people all the time, two, three, four. These are people with very significant insulin resistance and it's a very common problem and it predates any pre-diabetes, it predates type two diabetes. So it really gives you a good look relatively early on. So you wanna get that series of blood tests that we have in there, a whole set. Um, and then you want, second thing you wanna do is you wanna get a simple online cognitive assessment. Um, we like to use CNS Vital Signs, but there are others you can use. You want to get that as a second piece to see where you stand. Uh, we've had a number of young people recently do this, and they were shocked to see at, that, hey, things weren't quite as good as I thought they were. And hey, guess what? I actually do need to. And these are people in their late 20s. Like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, maybe those Twinkies weren't as good for my brain as I thought yeah. they were. You know, so that's, yeah. that is, this is an issue. You think you're bulletproof when you're young, yep. but you're yep. not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then the third part is if you have no symptoms and if you're scoring well on your cognitive assessment, then the, you can forget about the third piece, which is an MRI with volumetrics. However, if you're not scoring well on the test or you and or you have symptoms already, you want to include that third one as well because you want to know where your hippocampal volume stands. And by the way, 
Uh, we've got a woman just just writing up who's you know, improvements in her hippocampal volume, improvements in her PET scan, you know, just striking along with she went from ninth percentile in her cognitive testing to 97th percentile. She's now 76 years old. So wow. just doing absolutely great. So those are the three things. That's a cognoscopy. It's relatively simple. You don't have to drink any funny green liquid ahead of time. You don't have to do anything like you have to do for a colonoscopy. It's not uncomfortable. Get those three things checked out and reduce your risk. Let's all make Alzheimer's the rare disease that it should be and can be. Well, I'm on board with that as well. Uh, in fact, we just had the virtual biohacking conference right uh, right before we recorded this. Uh, Maria Shriver came on and she runs a women's Alzheimer's movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and because the conference did really well, I actually made an additional donation uh, to uh, to her charity for that. And that leads to one of the the final questions on our interview, just because I know you've got uh, time to, time restraints. Women get two thirds of cases of Alzheimer's disease. What's different in your new book specifically for women, or do we know what to do that's different for women? It's a great point. Uh, and the biggest difference, and, and of course, the the woman's brain is different than the man's brain, and obviously there are there are books written about this. Uh, by Dr. Brizendine, for example, uh, among others, there are differences. And of course, one of the obvious differences is estrogen receptors within yeah. the brain. And it, it looks as if at least one of the suggestions, and this I think comports well with the data out of Mayo Clinic that showed that people who had a, an early oophorectomy, so someone who lost her ovaries at the age of 40 or younger, who did not have hormone replacement, doubled her risk for Alzheimer's, even though the Alzheimer's was diagnosed years later, which again goes perfectly with what everything you and I have talked about here. Yeah. And so they just a few minutes ago, you talked about the slopes of the curve and guess what? That is critical for this phenomenon. Now we talked about how you make things better by changing the curve and then boom, letting yourself recover. But what about when you do the opposite? What about when you basically knock the legs out from under a system? Right. Okay. So suddenly, and we see this again and again and again. And in fact, we, part of what we did with Alzheimer's came from receptors we discovered back in 1993. We published this in Science and Nature, that something called dependence receptors. These are receptors that are in many cells, but especially in brain cells, that are monitoring the concentration of trophic factors, hormones, things that are trophic to the body. And when you suddenly remove the ligand, these receptors actually trigger cell death. So if you're a man, what happens as you get older is that your testosterone goes down slowly, year by yeah. year by year by year. The, the slope of the curve is negative, but it's not negative infinity, right? It doesn't, right. it's not great. On the other hand, when you're a woman, now some women sail through it and they don't have these dramatic drops. But for many women, as you know, the slope of the curve is much more negative. It's a cliff. Yeah. It's a cliff. And if we already know from the Mayo studies, if it's a cliff at 40, you're in trouble. You've doubled your risk for Alzheimer's. So this is where, and we also know, by the way, you know, you change that by giving BHRT. Guess what? You lower your risk. So that Who would have thought? 
Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah. So again, it all fits perfectly with the idea that this is an insufficiency and we can measure all the different molecules that contribute to this signaling network and we can see why an insufficiency occurs and we can see what to do about it and when to do about it and how to do it with appropriate treatment. So again, if I were entering that period, now I'm much older than that, but if I were entering that period as a woman, I would seriously consider talking to a world-class BHRT expert like Dr. Anne Hathaway or Dr. Prudence Hall or one of these other people who has worked with this for, for years and years and years. Well, thank you for saying that. And what I'm hearing there is that it's likely that perimenopause and how that hits you in menopause may be a contributing factor into why women get get it more than men because it drops off more quickly and men kind of grinds down over the decades. But for both men and women, having the hormones of a healthy 35-year-old kind of improves quality of life and all-cause mortality risk goes down. Right. It seems like it's a good idea for anti-aging. Do you, are you on testosterone and do you, do you take those things? You know, it's interesting. I've checked my, my levels in the past and at the time it was fine, but you're right. It's, it's time to re-up this. I am not currently taking testosterone, although interesting, I, uh, my pregnenolone was low, so I take some pregnenolone. So it's a, oh, because you're taking precursors. Okay. Precursors, yeah. So, yeah, so my pregnenolone was low, um, even in my 50s, um, and so I am taking some pregnenolone, absolutely. So these wow. are, yeah, these are critical things. And I should add, progesterone, well, women typically have relative progesterone deficiency and relative estrogen excess as they're going through perimenopause and menopause. And what is progesterone critical for? Detoxification, among other things. So there's another reason that as they begin to lose this, they have increased risk for cognitive decline. Wow, so double whammy, so they get exactly. fewer abilities to remove toxins and they're getting cell death because they don't have enough estrogen floating around, or in this case, they have a lot of estrogen floating around. Um, it's not, it's actually lower estrogen, but it's greater, more lower, oh, so it's, it's it, a relative it, excess. Oh, got it, so it, it's but low, but the ratio is even worse, okay. Exactly. Oh, so it, it's whammy. a complex system, okay. Yeah. Well, we could go on for hours, and I think people would listen for hours, but I know you have another appointment coming up here. Uh, there is far more uh, in your book than we could possibly cover today, including just the list of labs people should be getting. Uh, so thanks again for your your life's work on this and being the first guy to stand up and say, seriously, Alzheimer's is reversible. Why aren't we all doing it? And then putting the program in place. Uh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm always in awe whenever you get a chance to talk. So just keep doing what you're doing for a very long time. Thanks, Dave. And you as well. I'm, I'm excited about all the great stuff you're doing. And, and, you know, thanks for having the guts, the courage, uh, and the ability to jump out there and, and, uh, you know, let so many people know that it's a new world. So this is great. So thanks. Let's all make the, let's all make Alzheimer's a rare disease. All right, it's already happening. Your book, The End of Alzheimer's Program, not just The End of Alzheimer's Book. So this is the What to Do book uh, is is just out. And your website is drbredesen.com, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N.com. Absolutely. All right, stay safe, man. Uh, Guys, thanks, Dave. if you like this episode, you know what to do. Buy the book and leave a review. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.